Well, hello, and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Um, the second in a kind of uh, a series, I suppose, um, dealing with photo book publishing. Uh, last week, um, I very much spoke in a very broad sense about, I suppose, what could be described as the old school, the big publishers, the Thames and Hudsons, the Rizzolis, uh, the Fidens, those kinds of publishers who used to be the publishers that photographers looked to uh, to publish their work, particularly when it came to the big end-of-career monograph. This week, I'm going to talk about something slightly different. And I'm going to start off by actually reading from an interview that I came across with a Texas-based photographer and educator called Meg Griffiths, who actually will be appearing on a podcast in the future. But anyway, as part of this uh, interview, she said this, There are so many publishers now. It's a very exciting time. Photography books are the best way to make art accessible to everyone. Not all can afford the money or the space, so having such a wide variety of book publishers now is really nice. There is someone for everyone, both the consumer looking to collect and the artist looking to share work. From a collector's point of view, it is such a privilege to be able to sit with an entire body of work, not just one piece but all of them. It feels very holistic. We really get to know the essence of the work in this format, all those details. It's very intimate. I thought Meg really put it well there, um, hugely positive, and it's kind of interesting because reading that, it made me think, well, okay, let's think about who are these uh, independent publishers, or so many publishers that she's now talking about. And instantly I was thinking of Radius, Mac, Candor, Ghost, Zatara Press, Nazareli, Chris Gray's Projects, La Artier, uh, One Day Projects, Blue Coat Press, Little Big Man, RRB, Gallery 51, 89 Books, Four Line Press, Red Hook Editions, Zen Photo, Dowie Lewis, Stanley Baker, Super Labo, and on and on and on. All of these publishers, to my mind, seem to exist as publishers. That may seem a slightly strange thing to say, but as we progress into next week's podcast and we talk more about the self-publishing, I think maybe that will, that kind of phrase, that statement, uh, will make more sense. But all of these publishers are looking to make a niche for themselves. Um, a lot of them are one or two man bands, um, but they're making a niche for themselves in publishing a number of books over the period of a year. Uh, that may be three, four, five, six, seven, maybe that's the maximum. But why are these uh, companies, these publishers, why do they exist and why are they making a profit where we spoke about last week when the big publishers um, are, are failing? Well, of course, the word is big is the problem. Everything I've just described now, uh, those names of those publishers, you may have heard of a few, or none of them. They're working in very small environments. And what they're doing is, I suppose, really reacting to the reality of where we are now with digital photography, which is that we're very rarely seeing the image existing in anything other than a backlit uh, image on a screen. What I describe as 20th century or 21st century, I should say, stained glass windows. We haven't got that physical artifact 
in our hands that we used to have with a contact sheet, some film or a print. The book provides that artifact. The book provides that sense of presence, that sense of achievement. But also what it does, and these book publishing companies are printing in very small runs, maybe as little as 150, 150, maximum I would say probably around the 500 mark to 1,000. What they're doing is they're responding to the collector market. And Meg refers to that, that idea of people collecting these photo books as beautiful objects. What that then, of course, does is it puts a, a weighting on the quality of the design, the stock, the overall package. These are not artifacts which are just about photography. They're a package. They're a bringing together. That may be text um, that comes with that. That may be a collaboration, collaboration with a writer. Um, but they're invariably beautifully printed on beautiful stock and expensive. Now, they may be expensive for their size. I was looking at a book recently, which was, I think, £30. Not a lot of money, but I was only going to be getting 12 pages for my £30. Now, you may say, well, they may be 12 beautiful pages, and you may be right. But it's still a thought process involved there of, you know, that value for money. And of course, uh, quantity is not a proof of quality. But anyway, that's kind of a different subject. So what we're talking about here are these small art-based niche publishers. And these are all publishers that you as photographers may well wish to um, show your work to or be published by. I hear very rarely do I hear bad stories about these relationships. These small uh, niche publishers, boutique publishers, I suppose you could describe them as, uh, are really good at working with the artist. They're working with people whose work they respect. And so the relationship, the collaboration is invariably uh, fruitful and enjoyable. Uh, how much money we're talking about here, if we're talking about, is it financially um, I suppose, rewarding? Well, I'm not sure. And I don't have enough information about uh, the, these kinds of uh, publishers to actually kind of put forth on that. I do have some information. And I do know that a number of these publishers are looking for the photographers to contribute to the the finished book. Gets back to that thing that we were talking about last week, that actually... The big publisher, what are they giving? Well, they should be giving you worldwide distribution, marketing, co-edition deals. The small boutique publisher, what are they going to get you? Well, hopefully they'll get you into the magazines on the websites as reviews that are right for your kind of work. Maybe much smaller audience, but maybe a more important audience. They will get you into those independent photo bookshops, perhaps gallery bookshops, perhaps museum bookshops. So hopefully that will happen also. But we're not talking here about a big operation. And so I think it would be fair to say that um, if you're looking to work with one of these publishers, building up that relationship before you perhaps even start talking uh, about producing a book together would be a really good idea. So there's another option to the big publisher, 
it's the niche publisher and it's kind of that middle ground it's the creating of the artifact of course the problem is that type of book that type of artifact does not suit all types of work so you've got to be really uh, clear and honest with yourself before you approach one of these publishers look at what they publish and think yeah but do they publish what i do I think there can be few more theatres of the absurd than the British seaside. Um, perhaps any seaside or beach scene uh, long been a favourite for many photographers as a place for, I suppose, documentation of the strange and the quirky. A photographer who responds to that environment in a wonderfully quiet and understated way is Paul Russell, who joins us this week, explaining what photography means to him. Paul was born in England in 1966 and grew up on the Sussex coast in the south of England and now lives in the coastal town of Weymouth. He studied animal behaviour at Nottingham University, which led to an interest in studying human behaviour and documenting these behaviours through photography. Paul's work has been collected by the Museum of London and he was one of 46 international photographers profiled in the uh, landmark Thames and Hudson book Street Photography Now. What a shame they're not doing more books like that. His work featured in the 2019 book Street Photography, A History in 100 Iconic Images, published by Prestel, and has appeared in publications such as Desert, The Guardian Weekend magazine, The Independent on Sunday, a digi-photo and a neon. Paul is a prolific user of Twitter and you can find him at paulrussell99. I really recommend following him. Um, as a platform, he uses Twitter as a platform to share his images and his very wry view of the world. For many years, photography was a vague source of frustration to me, really. I picked up a camera quite early I had a Russian Zen E when I was 12 years old, and I moved on to a Pentax ME. Photography seemed like an interesting thing to do, and I was a fan of photographers like Cartier-Bresson and Duano. After studying animal behaviour at university, I moved around a lot for jobs. Uh, Chester, Bangor, Crawley, Oxford, Brighton, Bath, London, all interesting places, and every year... I would take a few rolls of film, but the results were usually disappointing. Even sticking a load of filters on the front of my camera didn't seem to help very much. So I've been doing photography for over 20 years, really, without having an awful lot to show for it. It was only when I got my first primitive digital camera back in 2003 that things started to fall into place mainly due to the instant feedback you get from digital. I was suddenly taking loads of photos and straight away I set myself the task of putting my best shots for every month up on my new website. And for every single month since then, I asked myself, what have I got this month as a sort of work ethic drive? I'm more of a Tony Ray Jones fan than a Bruce Gilden fan and so the problem then becomes how do you take interesting candid pictures without sticking your camera in someone's face 
And the answer usually involves looking for interactions, people interacting with each other, people interacting with their environment, basic animal behaviour. My photo series sometimes come about because I want to express a point of view that differs from what I see presented in the media. For example, I think there's two ways that the seaside tends to be shown. It's either tacky, brash and loud with all the colours ramped up, or the seaside is desolate, decaying, crumbling, down at heel. These seem like such easy cliches to me, uh, so I wanted to show a more sympathetic view of the seaside via photography, based on my own experience of living in seaside towns for many years, and that is, for most of the year, the seaside is just a nice, pleasant, quiet, even beautiful place. So for my Beside the Sea series, the first few photos at the beginning are taken in season, but then all the rest of the photos show the out of season stillness. So it's a resident's view, not the tourist's view. On the other hand, um, a while back I was looking for photos of Brighton online via search engines and they all seem to be just of the beach and in good weather, blue skies, and this somehow irritated me. So in 2013, I made 32 day trips to Brighton from my home in Weymouth. It's about four hours each way on the train. And I photographed the town only and not the beach and only in overcast weather really to remind myself of what it was actually like to live and work in Brighton on a day-to-day -day basis. My photos are usually taken like this on day trips by train and I now have an impressive collection of train tickets. Of course one-off standalone images are important for street photography they're the calling cards that you hopefully get remembered for, like my duelling ladies photo or the zippy man photo. And there's a joy in getting something like that in an instant out of nothing. As the football manager Brian Clough was fond of saying, it only takes a second to score a goal, young man. Thank you, Paul, there for your uh, contribution. Um, as I was saying, do follow him on Twitter. I particularly enjoy his uh, price reduction food photographs, which I think must be taken in a, a branch of Marks and Spencers. Um, and he does that every day. It's a reduction of the day. Uh, really interesting, very, as you can hear from the way in which he talks about his work, very understated. Um, but it's nice to have that mix of uh, photography and photographers joining us on the podcast. Um, this week, I've launched something which I've been thinking about doing for a while. Um, as regular listeners will know, I'm not a big fan of sponsorship for the podcast. It seems to me that the 20 minutes that we allow each week would get eaten up 
with me trying to get you to buy other people's products purely because they've decided to give me some money um, in which to do so. And I wanted to create something that was different. And so we've launched this week um, what I'm calling um, the Photographic Life Podcast Plus, and that's on the Patreon um, platform. And what that allows you to do is to access um, material which is kind of like a follow-on from the stuff that we've discussed in the podcast. In a way, I think it allows you to um, delve deeper into some of the discussions, the photographer's work, and it allows me to give you links to articles, um, to give you more information about photographers, places you can go, things you can see, films you should see. So it's really kind of like an information package that supports the stuff we've been speaking here. Have no fears. This podcast remains as free as a bird. Uh, the Patreon um, Plus does require you to make a small monthly payment if you want to access that stuff. Um, the minimum is $3, which I think works out at about £2.69. So as I've been saying, it's less than the price of a cappuccino, um, hopefully with a lot less froth in it. But anyway, um, that's the idea of Podcast Plus. You'll get um, an information sheet, which you can download as a PDF, which is filled with links and information connected to each podcast. You'll get four of those a month. And as well as that, you'll get an extra audio podcast um, in which um, I'll talk a little bit about the, um, the information that I've given you on the information sheet. In addition to that, you um, will get access to a number of full interviews. So uh, if I've had to edit down the um, what does photography means to me, you'll get the full uh, full audio. And also I'll be putting up there a number of um, the full interviews that I've done with different photographers over the years, including Paolo Reversi and David Bailey, um, and Wolfgang Zuzitsky, a whole load of different stuff. So the idea really, I suppose, is it's a, a resource. Um, it allows me to keep doing what we're doing and keep building on what we're doing. Um, so I hope that's something that you'll check out. Just go over to the Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N platform. Just put that into Google. And obviously, we're under UN of Photo, and that is a Photographic Life Podcast Plus. Anyway, that's enough of the advertising on that this week. I hope you found it interesting and, a, and an interesting kind of developing conversation concerning the book publishing this week. The fact that we dealt with the, the bigger publishers last week, and this week we've kind of addressed the boutique publishers. This will be the first podcast supported by Podcast Plus. So if you want to support us there, the first information sheet and first Podcast Plus uh, podcast will be doing a lot more information on the book publishing. Um, but next week, we'll be dealing with independent uh, publishing, publishing yourself, the why, the how, the where, and the when. And I know that having spoken to a lot of people who've been taking part in that kind of process. It's a process in which, yeah, you got it. You need to take care. <laughs>